This is the case of Marion Barter, a mother, teacher, friend, missing for 22 years. You know, no sign that she was going to vanish, that's for sure. The bizarre circumstances surrounding her disappearance. I'm not sure if it was intentional or if there's something more foul afoot. If you could imagine a teacher coming straight from, say, Little House on the Prairie to the 80s, that was Marion Barter. Whether you find Marion Barter dead or alive, I honestly believe somebody has that key piece of information. And the relentless quest of a daughter to find her mum. Something had happened. Something has happened to make her leave. I am 100% sure, 100% sure that somebody knows something. The Lady Vanishes. Episode 2. Hi, I'm Alison Sandy. And I'm Brian Seymour. Before we start, a big thank you to everyone who supported this podcast and sent us text messages and never-seen-before photos of Marion. We're really grateful. The more listeners we have, the more people we reach, the better chances of solving this mystery. So, thanks again. And just a warning, there is some swearing in this episode. Now, to examine what may have happened to Marion, whether she staged her disappearance or met with foul play, we need to take a closer look at who she was. We've decided to rewind right back to when Marion Barter was Marion Wilson. The first child of Colleen and Jack Mackenzie Wilson, born on October the 3rd, 1945, at Marrickville in Inner West Sydney. The family moved to Queensland when Marion was about four or five, living in the bayside suburb of Wellington Point near Brisbane for the early part of the 1950s. The Wilsons returned to Sydney around seven years later to the southern suburb of Oyster Bay, just in time for Marion to start secondary school at Port Hacking State High. One of the few people who remember Marion well from that time has agreed to speak with me. It's her sister, Deirdre Stewart. Hello. Hi, Deirdre. Alison Sandy from The Seven Network. How are you? Good, thanks, Alison. Deirdre paints a picture of a happy childhood. There were four girls in the family, Marion, Deirdre, Bronwyn and Lee. Deirdre was two years younger than her big sister. Yes. I mean, like all parent-children relationships, there were, you know, times when it was a bit strange. But um, generally speaking, I think she adored her parents and um, they adored her. Did you have any rebellious years as a teenager or anything like that? No, don't think so. So she was all good daughter? We were all good daughters. We did what we were told. We were a bit frightened of our father, so if he told us to do something, we did it. So basically it was a, it was a nice, happy household? Yes. <laughs> While Deirdre admits she wasn't close to Marion, she does remember her fondly. She was my big sister and she did more interesting things than me because she was older than me and she had beautiful clothes, which I was very envious of. But having said that, she often lent me clothes to wear. I was going out somewhere. She used to buy really nice clothes. She liked designer label clothes like um, Norma Tullo and designers from the 1960s. And she had quite a lot of them. And she had a dressmaker that used to make her things. So she sort of used to design her own clothes and get this dressmaker to make her really, really nice clothes. She was very attractive, Marion. She had a lovely figure and she always looked gorgeous in clothes. She was always immaculately dressed and, you know, she had excellent taste in things. She loved old things and she collected bits of china and stuff like that. She knew a lot about china and what china was valuable and what furniture was worth collecting. So, yeah, she she had very good taste in clothes and in decor and she was very elegant and very attractive and she had a very outgoing personality. Everybody loved Marion. She would always talk to people and pour a heart out to people so that, you know, that was probably one thing that 
was a little bit unwise on her part so that everybody knew everything that she was thinking and feeling. Like she wore a heart on a sleeve. Marion loved to be loved. Oh, yes, definitely. She liked men. She liked having a man in her life. In fact, she told me once she could never live without having a man in her life. So, yes, that was important to her and she she had a lot of relationships outside those marriages too. So, you know, she liked men and she liked having relationships with men. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if she'd found, you know, another guy and was, you know, had fallen in love and was, you know, travelling overseas with him. That's probably what I would assume happened to her. It wouldn't surprise you if the reason she gave it all up was for a man? No, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Unlike Marion's daughter, Sally, Deirdre is happy to let the disappearance of her sister rest. She doesn't feel the need to know what happened and wishes Sally could just let go. I, I think she should just leave Marion be and just accept that she's gone and that she's got a new life somewhere and um, just leave it go. But that's something only she feels the need to track her down and find out what happened and just in case, you know, something awful's happened to her, well, then that's what she's got to do. She's the only person who knows that. I'm not about to judge Sally for what she's doing, but it's not something I would do. She says the impact on the family has been enormous. Lee gets very distressed. She was very close to Marion, and she gets quite distressed when Marion's brought up again. I think she's a bit unhappy that Sally's, you know, dredging it all up again and... Sally has sent us a couple of texts implying that Lee and Bron and I have all been trying to hide information from her or not divulging information that we had and that, you know, we weren't being very helpful and that she was trying to find out what happened to her mother and we weren't being very helpful, which is totally untrue. So that was quite hurtful. I know Lee was very upset about that. I think Bron just ignored it. You seem a little bit disappointed, though, that Sally's still pursuing this. Um, yes, probably, probably, because it just it just sort of dredges it all up again. Like you sort of get on with your life and, you know, I mean, I think about it periodically and I think, well, she's probably in some nice place and doing all sorts of interesting things. And um, so, yes, I think it's, it's quite painful to go through it all again. I'm glad my mother is not around to you know, go through it again because it was upsetting for her. Yeah, it must have broken her heart to have a daughter. Yes. I, I mean, I can't imagine it'd be hard enough with your mother, but your daughter? Yes, it was. Very upsetting for them both. Was it your parents that you felt were the most hurt or devastated by it? I think so, yes. Deirdre last saw and spoke with Marion at Christmas in 1996. To spend Christmas with Mum and Dad on Sunshine Coast. So we would have done that as per normal. 97, which was the year that she left, I also went overseas and I was away for three months. So May, June, July, the end of July, I came back at the end of July. So I was actually still away when she left to go to England. So I didn't see her off. I didn't get to talk to her or wish her a happy holiday or anything. I know she went up to stay with mum and dad for a while before she left. I think both my other sisters went up there as well. So they chatted to her, but... um, No, I didn't actually get to speak to her. So it's a long time since I've spoken to her. I came back at the end of July and there was a a little parcel waiting for me because it was my birthday on the 7th of August and she sent me a little present and a little card, which I didn't keep, unfortunately. But I read it and she didn't say anything, which I thought was unusual or anything. She just wished me a happy birthday and hoped I'd have had a good trip and told me how excited she was because she was, you know, just about to get onto the Orient Express. So um, she seems to have sent a lot of letters to people around that date. And after we discussed it together, we talked about it together later on when we started to wonder, you know, what was going on, you know, had she, was she all right, you know? What about your sisters? Did they have any other contact with with Marion? Um, not that I know of, no. Postcards as well or anything? that. Yes, I think they probably all got cards as well, you know, or a postcard or something. My postcard and present came from Tunbridge Wells. My elderly relative's postcard came from Sussex. I'm very excited. She said I've um, 
been very brave. I hired a car and I've been touring around and having a lovely time. So, from Deirdre's memories of her sister's childhood in the 1950s to her last contact in 1997, we're now skipping back to the 1960s. When Marion was dating Johnny Warren, a talented young soccer player who'd go on to captain Australia. Captain Johnny Warren, how many goals will Australia need to win on Sunday week? I don't know, one may be enough. And play in Australia's first appearance at the World Cup. He became a broadcaster known as Captain Socceroo for his passionate work to promote his favourite game. Marion and Johnny married in Dulwich Hill, a suburb of Sydney, in December 1967. The reception was in nearby Bexley. Their wedding photo shows a shy, smiling Marion wearing an elegant sheathed gown with three-quarter sleeves. Johnny has a shock of dark hair. He's grinning broadly in his black suit and continental bow tie. His best mate, John Economus, had introduced the couple. I can't remember the year. It was either 61, 62, 63. She was a former school friend of my first girlfriend, who I used to work with. Anyhow, I went to a, a young liberal party and Marion was there on her own, listening to records in the lounge room. And my girlfriend said, I went to school with that girl. So I started talking to her and I said, I want you for my best friend. And she was a bit embarrassed because I knew she didn't. I was told she didn't have anyone, no partner, ever, ever, while she was at college. And then I, I spoke to John about her. He wasn't there with us that, that night. And uh, it was laborious pushing them together. She was willing, but John was so wrapped up in his soccer. And, and yeah, eventually they got together and, and, you know. But the happy times don't last. Johnny was between international soccer tours when he announced the marriage was over. There was no violence between them at all, no arguments, nothing. But he just came back. He just said to her over breakfast he didn't want to be married anymore and within three hours he'd packed up and left. I think from memory he went to his mother's home at Cogra Bay and he rang me to be the first because he felt responsible uh, to answer to me because I, I'm the one that picked Marion. She was the best girl he ever had. He had too many. And he wasn't a womanizer, but because John had become a star, captain of Australia, and then a TV personality, women were throwing themselves at him. He was, he was going through them like. And he wasn't really a womanizer, but he had about six, seven girlfriends. Marion was the only decent female that he had, and I handpicked her. Brand spanking new. She never, never had a boyfriend. Hello. This is Ross Warren, Johnny's oldest and only surviving brother. Do you remember the actual marriage itself or any issues, you know, what led to it ending? Yeah, well, that, that date of uh, February the 5th to the 26th of May, John was invited. He had this bad injury and never thought he'd play again. But it was a um, FIFA coaching school for Asian coaches and John was invited to attend and that was when he was away from, from Marion for a good well, the 6th of May, around three months. Topped the course, of course. Well, Marion had wanted to go to be with him and John did say, look, we're going to have to rent the house. We can't afford the two of us to go. And Marion said, well, I'm not having strangers come into the house because he had all the curl and mow furniture and what have you, you know, everything was the best. And John said, well, if you're not prepared to uh, rent the house out for the period of that three months, he said, well, you just can't come with me. And that resulted uh, when John did come back, Marion had found another friend and the marriage wound up. That must have been, it must have been a sad time or, or was it expected or how was he during that time? No, it wasn't expected at all. He got a hell of a shock. We lived at Lagana, my wife and myself, and uh, mum and dad used to come down and look after the around the house type of thing well, whilst John was away for, for Marion's um, support, I suppose you'd say, but then it got a bit nasty after that. Yeah, it was, it was a hell of a shock for the family generally, and I dare say 
from John's point of view, Marion had obviously decided that she wasn't going to be left at home, but she didn't want to put the hand up and, and rent the place. Gradually, that developed into a bit of a nasty time for both of them, for Marion and for, and for John. I got that story from Ross too, that she was fooling around with another guy when John was away. Johnny Warren's best mate, John Economist, recalls differently. That's bullshit. I know. You know, people with rumours, they believe anything they're told. The split came in 71, the morning after he came back from Japan with a St George team. He was over there on a tournament. And over breakfast, because they never had rows, over breakfast, he just told he didn't want to be married anymore and within three hours he'd be out of the house, and um, which he did. And then, as he, as he left, he rang me before he told anyone else, not even his parents, to tell me, because he felt obliged to notify me, because I was the, the, the culprit for bringing them together. And he says, I, I have to tell you, um, Marion and I are busted up. I said, but no, you, no, you're not. And she said, yeah, yeah, I don't want to be married anymore. I said, well, what's this over? He says, nothing. I just want to be free. And that was it. Annie, I had a nervous breakdown. I never saw her. Then John did see Marion again many years later at Caloundra on Queensland's Sunshine Coast. Her parents lived there at a waterfront property at Moffat Beach. Johnny Warren had bought a house next door to them, and John Economist bought next door to Johnny a dilapidated shack for nine thousand dollars. He nicknamed Psycho because it reminded him of the Bates Motel out of the famous Alfred Hitchcock thriller. School holidays, I happened to have time off. I was up there doing some painting on Psycho on my own. And one night, I heard this girl yelling out to me, John, John, guess who? Marion Warren or Wilson, whatever her name is today, Brown, so many names. Can I come up? And I went to the balcony, the supper's upstairs. I said, yeah, you have to use the back stairs. She came up. I couldn't believe it. Now, the reason why I had no contact with her was more than just the fact that she'd busted up with, or John had busted up with her. It became apparent, clear to me, within weeks after they got married, she learned to dislike me, and she had no reason to. I had never offended her. She came out, and I said, why did you turn against me? I said, I stopped coming to your place because there was coldness. I knew I wasn't wanted. You never told me that, but you showed your body language, even at games, you know, you used to turn your back to me. And she says, because he made it clear to me during our marriage, I could I could sense it. He loved you more than me. I said, Marion, he knew me 20 years before you. Isn't that normal? We weren't homosexuals. Yeah, but I, I was jealous and I was immature, which she was, despite being a school teacher. She was a bit immature. Not silly. She was an academic. But he says, no, I was envious of you and jealousy and that, and, and that's why. He says, I know I was silly and I apologise. Marion and Johnny were married for just four years. Marion is devastated. From her daughter Sally's account, Johnny was the love of her life. And she loved John, and that was a very sad time in her life. And, you know, my auntie has told me how she had a nursery set up at their house at Mortdale, um, and she was always going to have a Sally, and they couldn't fall pregnant. So that was that was a hard thing for her. And then she met my dad. Why didn't it work out with Johnny? Did she ever talk about that? She did briefly. Um, they struggled to fall pregnant, which was a lot of pressure on the relationship. And then he was going overseas for the first time the Socceroos had actually made the World Cup. So he was all excited. He was front page of everything. And um, he said, I want to separate while I go on tour. And mum said, no, we're not separating. Why are you going on tour? I'll come on tour with you. And he said, no, you're not coming. So that's the, that's all she has ever told me. Did she tell you about their relationship? Did she love him? She loved him. I asked my auntie the other day if she would actually tell me some things that she remembers about John or about mum before she met my dad and um, do a bit of a timeline. My auntie was the principal at the school where my mum taught and she said, I remember her walking into the staff room 
and there was, John was on the front page of the newspaper and she picked it up and she was kissing it going, oh, my God, he's so gorgeous, I love him. And she was just in love with Johnny Warren. She um, really was. And they had a good relationship even after my mum and my dad separated. John used to come to our primary school at Springwood and teach us all how to play soccer and I played number nine, which is the number he played. And, you know, it was cool. He, he was a good guy and um, she really, really loved him. But I just think it just didn't work out. I don't know why, but probably I know if my husband told me that he wanted to have a, a break so he could go overseas on tour, I probably would not be so happy about that either. Johnny Warren went on to have other relationships and a daughter, Shannon. He died from lung cancer in 2004, seven years after Marion's disappearance. It seems our podcast is bringing back people's memories of Marion. A text message exchange between Johnny's daughter and niece has been circulating on Facebook since our first episode. In it, daughter Shannon recalls her dad running into Marion at Kayama in 1990. Her cousin responds, saying she remembers her grandmother, Johnny's mum, saying Marion was the best daughter-in-law and no one could replace her. I'm calling an old friend of Marion's. Hello, Janice. Alice and Sandy, how are you? Janice White used to teach with her when they were in their 20s. Yeah, hold on, I'm just changing ears. <laughs> they met not long after Marion's marriage to soccer star Johnny ended. I think it was 1972 when I met Marion, and um, it was before Sally and Owen were born. And I was working in a school, a primary school in Sydney, and I was not long back from working... Uh, in Western New South Wales. So I was feeling a bit disoriented and Marion came to work during the year in the classroom next door to me. And as we were a bit separate from the um, the rest of the school, we sort of, um, she I think she needed someone to talk with and I, yeah, and I guess I needed a friend in a, yeah, because I was in a totally new situation as well. We gelled. Then we stayed friends until she disappeared. When you say different circumstances from what you were before, can you explain what you mean? Marion had just come out of her first marriage and, uh, she was feeling very hurt and hadn't lasted a long time, the marriage. And they had been in a long-term relationship before they married but then wasn't a long-lasting marriage. And I think she was, I guess, you know, of all the feelings that you would um, be experiencing at that time, that she was she was a bit lost, she was confused, um, she was looking for direction, she was wondering where her life was going to lead, all those types of things. And, um, and as I said, I'd come back from... Back from um, country New South Wales and was living back in the city again and I was, you know... I was actually trying to re-establish myself as well. But, yeah, and I guess because we were also in a building that was a bit separated from our colleagues, we would often just sort of, you know, sit and have morning tea together and, and things like that. She was a very easy person to talk with and um, and she she was always a person that um, was very warm. So you felt that you could talk with her and that she would, you know, take on board what you were saying. Um, you know, she would be supportive under different circumstances, but she was also a lot of fun as well. So what sort of teacher was she? Oh, she was a wonderful teacher, and I wouldn't be the only person that said that. She was full of energy, she was lively, extremely creative, very musical, really good with the children. I think she was teaching a, a year two class, and she was an excellent teacher. She was, she was delightful. She would be full of energy and, and had wonderful ideas could develop um, great relationships with, with children, but she was also, you know, when she needed to be firm, she set rules and the children really enjoyed being with her and, and in her class and all that. Yeah, I mean, she was accepted well by the rest of the staff, all that sort of thing as well. So, yeah, so I, now I would have been delighted if she'd been in any school that I worked in as well. There was never any doubt that she was a, a great teacher. So then, um, I guess, how did her life develop after getting over her um, first failed marriage with Johnny? She actually went on to meet Stuart, um, and she married Stuart, and um, and had Sally and Owen. So, um, but she always moved around. 
Marion was a real homemaker in that in any home that she had, it was always really well decorated, but not in a formal way, in a really comfortable way. But she um, had lovely furniture and lovely crockery and, and she knew how to create what was a really comfortable home, but a very attractive home as well. But she did move around a bit. Stuart Brown and Marion met through Stuart's sister, Robin Creevy, who was then the deputy principal at Peakhurst South Infant School, where Marion worked. I knew her because I was the infant's mistress at Peakhurst South and she was uh, transferred from Nawi because the infant's mistress there was coming. No, that's right, I was deputy there. The new infant mistress was coming from Nawi and Marion was such a prized teacher, she got her to transfer to Peakhurst South. So Marion transferred there and I would have to say she was probably one of the best teachers I have ever encountered. She had great energy. The house that they lived in at Mortdale Heights was absolutely so beautiful and she was a great gardener. She spent many, many hours in the garden She and everything she did was perfect. I always found her to be a person of integrity. She was intelligent. She was very creative. Nobody worked harder with their children in their classes. Do you know, we used to have a third of a pint of milk that was distributed to children every day, and John Warren was promoting some sort of energy thing, like a chocolate-based energy thing that you added to milk. She used to spend her morning tea time taking the lids off enough bottles of milk and mixing packets of that into the milk for the children to have. That's the kind of person she was. By 1972, Stuart and Marion were a couple. They bonded because they were both getting over failed marriages. Pretty soon, Marion was pregnant. Sally was born in May 1973. Then Owen arrived 17 months later. Did you see any changes in her since then? You know, like how was she as a mum? This is Janice again. Oh, she adored her children, took care of them well and played with them, took them places, was a great person for, for taking the children off to have different experiences and that type of thing. She loved her children. She was very affectionate with them. That was another thing about Marianne, that she wasn't standoffish at all as far as her physical nature was concerned. So, no, she'd give them hugs and kisses and tell them how wonderful they were and all of that type of thing. From what I could see, she was a, a very loving, very affectionate mum. But things started turning sour. According to Robin, Marion left Stuart and moved to Queensland in 1975. But when Stuart's father Ivan was diagnosed with leukaemia, the couple reunited, moving to Springwood in the Blue Mountains and officially tied the knot in 1977. But by 1979, it was all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you some background on Marion. This is Stuart. Marion had a lot of problems. I mean, I remember when we went to Mary's guidance, she didn't want to go anyway. She, I, I used to say, hey, we've got to go and try and sort this out a bit. And she used to say, I don't want to be here. It just gives me the shits. And the guy said to her, he said, Marion, he said, imagine you're in a little rowing boat. And he said, you're on this nice placid harbour and you row out through the heads. And he said, the minute you go outside the head, there's a big black storm cloud. But he said, you don't go back to where you came from. He said, you find somewhere else. You never want to go back to where you've been. Which I thought was an interesting comment. Stuart holds a lot of anger. He says Marion had affairs and was violent. But no one else has verified that. In fact, Stuart's sister Robin says quite the opposite. Regrettably, she married my brother because I went to Springwood School and Springwood School was um, celebrating a centenary or something. So my mother and father, my son and I, went up to stay the night with them at Spring the children while they went to this big, big do. And when we went there, Marion had a black eye. And my mother said, oh, good grief, what happened to you? And she said, oh, I slipped on the bathroom floor and caught it on the wash basin. 
And it wasn't until a long time later that we'd have found out what had happened. She was a very smart lady. And um, I blame my brother for everything that happened because it was because of him that the marriage failed. And she, then she she went off on a, ta- a bit of a tangent and got involved with different men and different things happened. And then she finally married this younger fellow. Stuart admits hitting Marion. Only after she smashed my eye socket. So, Marion was on the move again, from Springwood to nearby Lapston. When her children were in primary school, she met Ray Barter, a car detailer and the man who would become her third husband. Yeah, I was, I, well, I was, I was a car detailer at that stage, and that, that's a long time ago. Well, I remarried a couple of years after Marion and I, I parted. Once we divorced, I moved to Canberra and got a job at Parliament House. I worked, actually worked at Parliament House for 20 years. From there, I went and I worked in India for three years. And now I'm a production manager for an oil, a small oil company. I've never had a formal education. Like I went to um, year nine, I think, at school. And then I went back to tech and did years, year, year 12. And I actually tried to get into Wollongong University to um, do teaching because Marion was a teacher. Couldn't get in. They didn't have a space for me. So I couldn't. Yeah. But look. Um, getting back to Marion, I suppose, but we're not here to talk about me. <laughs> Sorry, it's good to get that sort of, uh, history. Yeah, I know. Um, Marion was, she, she was, a, she was a lovely person and, um, she was a fabulous teacher, very dedicated and, um, the kids just loved her. You know, they just, they just adored her. She was a very soft, very obliging sort of person and probably in some respect that could have been part of our problem is that she, she was so devoted to her work that she'd had little, room for anything else but look yeah she was she was an unusual person she really liked the idea of alternative living and she always always said that she would like to sell everything up and move and and live basically in a commune and the other thing she really would have liked to have done was lived in um holland because she loved the idea of living in holland she loved holland By the 1980s, Marion and her old teaching friend Janice had lost contact to some degree, but new friendships were forming. Wendy Paggett's son Jerome was in Marion's first grade class at Springwood Public School in 1980. She was an amazing teacher, best teacher I've ever experienced in the whole schooling career of my children. She was very, very dedicated. To me, uh, she opened up a lot of new doors. She loved ballet and plays and all sorts of theatrical things, which myself or my children hadn't been exposed to previously. She took them to see Swan Lake in Sydney. (laughs) She got even the boys dressed up in the most (laughs) outlandish uh, gear in plays and everything, you know. I've got pictures of my son with a big top hat and a nightshirt as Peter Pan. The kids all loved her. Wendy later became godmother to Sally. And uh, I kept up the friendship with her even after that. And a bridesmaid at Marion and Ray's wedding on June the 9th, 1985. Seemed a nice enough fellow um, and they uh, showed dogs together they were afghan dogs that they had there around 1988 marion ray and sally moved to the south coast of new south wales building a home at jerengong good morning there she met barb Mathy. she was a neighbor and she moved into a house opposite us at jerengong and we got to know each other because she's a very friend she was a very friendly person she was a teacher and I was a teacher as well. So um, I wasn't teaching at that time, but um, she was still teaching. Then she shifted again to Kayama Heights. She was like that a little bit. She would not put down roots for long. Marion and her son Owen had always shared a special bond. She just loved those kids and she loved Owen maybe a little bit more than Sally, I'm not sure. But Owen was, you know, very, very special to her. But since Ray had come along, 
the connection between mother and son had deteriorated. He was a, a funny young kid. He was extremely intelligent. And she always said that he needed to be in a special school or a special class because he was so intelligent. He was so far ahead of the other kids that he used to get really bored and he was always in trouble at school. But on the other hand, he used to do some really weird things. But she really sort of doted on him. Sally, good kid, you know. I got on really well with Sally. Didn't get on so well with Owen. Why was that? Well, he was just... Oh, anyway, he's saying without sounding awful. He was an odd child. He had funny ways. Um, yeah, he was just... I don't know. Sally was very normal. You know, she was a really normal, everyday Australian kid. Um, but Owen was different. Was it just about being the male in the household? Was he just threatened by no, your presence? it was presence? more than that. It was more than that. It was also that, well, once I remember I was out mowing the lawn and Owen came out and took the mower and said, I'll do that. And I said to him, I said, why? He said, because I'm the man of the house. And I said, well, you're too young for one thing to be pushing a mower. Um, I said, so best you go inside and I'll finish it. So there, there was a little bit of tension there with him. Um, I, I basically just didn't worry about it. I just ignored it. But she did, she did have a, a bit of a soft spot for Owen, but then she wouldn't know about his, because that happened after she disappeared. But obviously, he didn't get along, and that's why Owen ended up living with his dad. Yes. Yeah, that was part of the reason. Um, yeah, he did go and live with his father, um, and we didn't sort of see eye to eye, to be honest. Do you think that it was something within Owen, or was the circumstances that kind of led to... I guess, you know, his mum disappearing. Could that have been a contributor to what actually ended up happening? God, that's, that's a really hard question to answer. I don't really know, to be honest. It's, it's, well, it's possible, but... He loved his mum. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were, they were pretty much inseparable, the two of them. She could sort of appreciate him for what he was, you know, because he was, he was a really intelligent kid. But being, you know, a bit eccentric probably is the word. This is how Sally remembers that time in the 1980s. The Owen story is a long story. It goes right back to when he was little. I don't know, he probably would have been in year four and I was in year five, maybe even younger, year three and year four, so little. Um, You know, we're talking nine and ten. Mum had met a new guy and he came to live with us very quickly. We hadn't met him and we'd been at our dad's for the weekend and I remember Mum coming and picking us up from the train station and she said, I've just got something to tell you kids. I said, what? And she said, oh, I've, we've got a guy who's coming to come and live with us. And I said, okay. And I was a bit shocked by that. And I didn't really understand it either. I didn't quite get it. But as I grew up and learnt, he walked out on his wife and his three kids and he needed somewhere to go. And mum had been on a couple of dates with him. So she, being my mum, the person that she this is. is Ray. Yeah. It's Ray. And he came and lived with us. And he walked in with an Adidas bag. That's all he brought with him, one bag. And I remember Owen and I walked straight out. We didn't even speak to him. He was in the kitchen. We went and sat on the trampoline and just jumped on the trampoline and looked at him through the kitchen window and thinking, this is really bizarre. There's a guy in our house we've never met before. Anyway, mum later married him. And the problem that stemmed from that was that Owen and Ray never got along. So Owen had an IQ one shy of being a genius but he was an odd person. He had an odd personality. I was kind of like the extrovert and he was the introvert and we were only 17 months apart. So we did everything together. We had matching BMX bikes and everyone used to think we were twins. And I remember Owen and Ray struggling a lot to get along. Ray used to get cranky because I remember one day the lawnmower wouldn't start and he couldn't work out how to get the lawnmower to start. And I walked out and tinkered with the spark plug and got it to start, and Ray actually got really mad at him. Ray and Owen's relationship, he actually gave my mum an ultimatum and he said either he goes or I go. And so mum sent Owen to live with my dad. And Owen could not handle one of Marion's boyfriends, so she ended up marrying... Stuart says his ex-wife was nasty to their son. And um, she rang me up and she said, I was about to go overseas for work. And she rang me up and she said, you've got to get this bastard out of my life. He's not going to destroy my so-and-so life. So I went down to Karamara Exchange and she came down and met me there. And Owen had, I can still see him now, he had a little airline, Qantas Airlines bag, 
was middle of winter. He had a pair of stubby shorts on and a T-shirt and bare feet, and he was frozen. And she said, get out of my life, you little bastard. She said, I'm sorry I never aborted you. And this is from a woman who was a highly qualified kindergarten teacher. And I said, Marion, he cries himself to sleep, asking why doesn't my mummy love me? And she said, oh, he doesn't know what I told him meant. I said, believe me, he does. I said, he knows that you didn't want him. And I reckon that was one of the reasons that Aaron committed suicide. It affected him all his life. She said, I can't have him in my life. I said, okay. I said to my sister, I said, can you lend me some money and I'll take him with me? And I took him overseas with me for three months. Where'd you go? Where didn't we go? <laughs> well, we went to the Netherlands first, then we went over to England, took him to the Edinburgh Tattoo, took him to Stirling Castle where the regiment was up there. I took him to the School of Artillery down in London, and then we went over to Belgium. We went down to the uh, 40th anniversary of the Battle of Arnhem. And then we went to Germany, Switzerland, Italy. We had a great time. Was Owen happy then, do you think? Do you, you know, Was he ever able to, to recover from his mum's rejection? No, I don't think so. She used to say to me, I want to talk to Owen. I'd say, Owen, come and talk to your mother. I don't want to talk to that so-and-so bitch. He was about 14 at that stage. And I said, Marion, I try to get him to talk to you. No, you tell him that he hates me. I said, I do not tell him that he hates you. I said, Owen, do I tell you? And he said, just tell her the piss off. I said, okay. I said, there you go. Marion, what can I do? Did they ever, I guess, make up at any stage? He actually caught up with her and he said, it's really good, we've been out and we've had dinner. And then he said, all of a sudden, out of the blue, oh, she's just dumped me again. Soon enough, Marion and Ray's marriage was on the rails. By 1989, they were divorced. The last time I saw Marion was in court. <laughs> to be honest, it was over money. Um, same old thing with divorces. So when was that? It was in Wollongong Court, and that was oh God. It's it's years ago. I've been we, I've been remarried for 26 years. It would be it'd have to be 30 or more years ago. Was the divorce finalised by that? What was the sort of scenario, I guess, leading up to that? Um, that was we were just finalising the the financial side. That way we could then process the divorce. I mean, I, I applied for the divorce in Canberra um, and she didn't she didn't appear. So the divorce was just automatic once it went through. Was it your decision or both your decisions? No, it was mine. And that was because? We had just drifted apart. Was it a bitter breakup? Not really. There was a little bit of uh, friction, I suppose, but it was never bitter. It was never stand-up, toe-to-toe rowing or, or arguing, no. It was tense, but not nasty. Did she try to get back with you? Not really. No, she she didn't. Yeah, no, that that there you go. See, no, she she never really approached me about about us trying to resolve the issues. Well, did it end up being a, a an amicable split in the sense, like you, the financial situation was a fifty fifty or? No, it wasn't fifty fifty. Um, and and I never wanted fifty fifty. That, that all I wanted was what I I thought I I was entitled to. Because when I married Marion, she had a house, she had everything, she. And, and all that was, as far as I was concerned, all that was hers. Um, we then went on and built another house and we made a bit of money out of that. And all I wanted was my fair share of that. And um, and that's pretty much what I got. When you confronted her and told her you wanted a divorce or that you were leaving or whatever, how how did that go down? Oh, she was pretty upset. I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was yeah, it's same old story. You know, I mean, it's never easy. Never any anger or, or um, abuse or... You know, we never, as I say, we never stood toe to toe and argued at one and screamed at one another. It just never happened. And we were never like that ever. I'm not that sort of person anyway. You know, I don't like confrontation all that much. I don't think it's necessary. I think things can be worked out. Yeah, it was, it was amicable, but you know, she was upset. As far as anything goes with, um, future dealings or anything like that, like, was it like cut off? That's it. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah. Cut off and, and basically no more contact after that. Marion, from what people tell me, seemed to be the sort of person who needed to have someone in her life. Yes, she did. So do you think that your divorce might have set off what then transpired? No, no I, don't, I don't believe so. I mean, she'd been divorced twice before. Uh, no, look, to be very honest, I, I, after we sort of, after I moved out, 
we didn't have a lot of contact. And as I say, the only time I saw her, really saw her after that was when we had to go to court about the money. Um, and I really didn't have any contact with her after that. So to be very honest, I'm not, I, I really can't answer that question honestly, to be honest. So I really don't know. After everything transpired that she did go missing and um, obviously had the police come over and investigate, obviously there's been no other contact or attempted contact by her. No. no. Or her family or anything like that? No. And with Owen and um, Sally, was the relationship, did you have a relationship with them? No. I guess the other thing I, I was kind of interested in is just knowing whether she ever broached any issues she had. I mean, she had mental health issues or was there any circumstances in her professional life or even her personal life that could have led to whatever's transpired? No. no. She wasn't the sort of person to sit down and talk about issues for a start. She, she never really opened up about her own feelings. But as far as I could see, um, she seemed quite happy. Um, she was happy at school. She loved the job. Uh, and as I said, you know, I think sometimes that she loved the job too much. And I'm not saying she was wrong, but she put so much time and effort into, into what she was doing that there was little time for anything else with her. And for you, that's a deal breaker? Well, pretty much because it got to the stage where um, I started showing dogs again. So I didn't show dogs for a few years and I started showing dogs again, got involved in that um, back into my old life. And she just wasn't interested. And you met your future wife there? Yes, I did. I met her at a dog show through a friend. We saw one another and spoke to one another at a few shows. And yeah, then it just basically moved on from there. Once again, Marion was single. And she didn't like it. Here's Janice again. She was very devastated. Um, I guess, yeah, she was a bit older and wiser but than, than what she had been possibly 20 years before But when she'd broken up with, with Johnny, but it, it, it was tough. It was, it was tough on her. And she, she was restless. Again, she just didn't know what her, what her future held. And that's when she started talking about moving out of New South Wales. She did eventually move to, to Queensland. And how did that go? I mean, were you still in touch when she was in Queensland? Yeah, I did because another friend of mine, um, had also moved to Queensland and I actually introduced them and they became friends and colleagues as well. So because I was, I would visit the other friend, in Queensland, I'd see Marion as well. So, yeah, we, we sort of re-established our, our friendship. And she used to come and stay with me in Sydney as well. We actually went to Melbourne together uh, at, um, with some other friends. Marion soon settled into a new life on the Gold Coast. She scored a position at the exclusive TSS, the Southport School. Carrie Orwood interviewed her for the job. It was towards probably towards the end of 1993, she had applied to teach the first reception class at TSS. Reception was very much like prep, as it is here today in Queensland. But we interviewed her, and the references, like she'd gone to a lot of trouble with references from former students and also former colleagues and other schools. And look, she interviewed quite well, better than, than the others. I wouldn't have raved. I was a little bit concerned, I remember, at the interview. So what were you, when you say you're a little bit concerned, what were your concerns? Well, you know, it's hard to remember back and I, I, I really don't like speaking badly of people who've passed away. In her case, we don't know. But I thought at the time she was an actress, you know, how some people front up for an interview, highly excited and calling everybody precious and darling. But going by her professional experience and the references and so on seemed okay. I did not speak to any referee. My memory is of these wonderfully orchestrated, put together, I would call them, written references. What was your position there at the time? I was director of the early education centre, which was years one, two and three at that time. And then we were adding on this extra year level at reception level. So the boys would have been between four and five. Okay, so then how did she go? Well, it was a quite difficult location because at that time, the early education centre was newly built in 1989, so about 93, and she was starting in 94. Now, that was across the road from the main campus. Now, Marion's class was set up on the former campus, so right away from everybody. 
set up in an older part of a former preparatory school and we just did a few like renovations to make it appropriate for young boys and you know it obviously had to be compliant and and pass whatever the regulations were at that time. For a time, everything was going well. Her friend Barb came up from Gerringong to see her. My husband and son and I went up to visit her and I went to school with her a couple of those days and that's where I saw how an amazing, such she was such an amazing teacher. She had kindergarten boys and the things that she provided in her classroom were just amazing, absolutely amazing. She provided all these wonderful experiences for these kids to learn through play. She had a little shop, she had dress-ups, and she had everything beautifully arranged and, and she'd made lovely things so that these boys just had the most wonderful education, I think, that any child could have. She seemed very, very happy teaching those kids. That's for sure. But by 1997, something was unsettling Marion. She was stressed. Her passion for her job was crumbling. She was stressed and she was short-tempered, I guess. That generosity of spirit was rather dented. There were unpleasant rumours about how she handled her students and talk of a falling out with certain staff members. Next time, what led to Marion quitting her job? There were a few little things that I thought, oh no, I think that's not appropriate. And packing up her life. Became apparent very early on he was a bully and treated staff, both males and females, dreadfully. Her overseas adventure and disappearance. And that was the last time I've ever spoken to her. If you knew Marion or have any information about her or her whereabouts, we'd love to hear from you. Our website is 7news.com.au forward slash the lady vanishes, where you can also email us. Oh, and if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe. Please rate and review our series. It helps new listeners find us. Presenter and executive producer, Alison Sandy. Presenter and investigative journalist, Brian Seymour. Producer and writer, Sally Eels. Sound design, Mark Wright. Transcripts, Charlie Daly Watkins. Graphics, Jason Blandford. The theme and much of the music by Nicholas Gasparini at thedarkpiano.com. This is a 7 News production. <laughs>